Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. I'm really excited to be here today and uh, to share with you what I feel like God has laid on my heart. Um, I'm just going to be real honest with you and tell you that I have been researching and looking over this topic for the last four to five weeks, and um, I was inundated with so much, and so trying to condense it down to my short time with you today was a very was a very difficult challenge. <laughs> um, so we'll see if I met that challenge, right? <laughs> so what we're, we're talking about the Nicene Creed, and the Nicene Creed, if you don't know, is a statement of beliefs. And as I've been thinking about this, for me, what it means is this book, now mine it happens to be this one, your Bible could be lots of things, it could even be on your phone, so you might hold up your Bible and it would be your phone, but this book is full of, it is so full, you know, some books you can pick up and you can read in a weekend, and some books you can pick up and read in a week or two. This book, to really read it, it takes a while. So what does it, what, what does it say? What does this book say to me as a Christian? What, what does it mean? And I think the Nicene Creed is the cliff notes for our Bible. It is boiled down to what's the essential things about our faith. And um, so right now, I'd like you guys to, with me, read the Creed. And um, if I... So if we could all stand together. Okay, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And (laughs) one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, for, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, and by the power of the Holy Spirit was born of the Virgin Mary and became human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the worlds to come. Amen. So, um, just as I was getting ready to share this morning, um, well, the Nicene Creed, we've been going through it piece by piece, and um, Two weeks ago, Graham shared on how Jesus was divine, or he is divine. He is God. And um, last week, Cameron shared on Jesus being human, fully human, that he came down and he put on humanity. 
And, um, and today, I'm going to share with you what did Jesus do? What, what did he actually do? And, you know, for a lot of people, if you asked people what did Jesus do, the first thing they're going to talk about is the miracles, right? Because, wow, he did some amazing things. His first miracle was turning water into wine. He um, gave sight to the blind. He fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. That's impressive. He walked on water. That's really impressive. He quieted a storm. <laughs> like I, I would have liked to have seen that one. And he raised people from the dead. But you know, the Nicene Creed says a lot of things, but it doesn't talk about those things. It doesn't talk about a lot of things, actually. That Bible that I talked about that's so full of stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't include some of those things. And I think it's important to note that, you know, even those things that, that were really good and they are really amazing and really impressive and make Jesus a very unique individual isn't the most important thing. And the most important thing is that the creed says he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. And now I'm going to take this apart piece by piece, and it's a big chunk. Um, but what I wanted to, what I felt like during worship, I felt like God, even though I spent all that time on this PowerPoint, I felt like God said, I want you to talk about the story. Because for us, you know, we read the Bible and in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it all gives an account of what, about this and what happened. But some of the account isn't necessarily um, in there. And, and as I was doing research, I came across a few things that I wanted to share with you. And one of them is that and we, we kind of know this, but um, Judea and Galilee, that area, had been, you know, Jewish rule. Had, I mean, Jews had ruled their own area. And the Romans, now if you can picture in your mind the map of that part of the world, and here's Italy, and then here's Jerusalem over here, and the Roman Empire expanded their kingdom and took over all of the area around the Mediterranean and and. and came over and took over Jerusalem. Well, the Jewish people weren't really going, oh yes, save us, Rome. They, they weren't real happy about this. As a matter of fact, for a long time, there was a lot of strife. So enter Jesus into this picture. And Jesus, he didn't come to talk to the Roman. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't there to say, let's kick out Rome or not kick out Rome. But the Jews were looking for a Messiah to do exactly that. And when, when Jesus showed up on the scene, he rattled a lot of Jewish feathers because really, you know, one, you're, you're saying that you're God and that's not true. But we, we know that that is true from what um, Graham talked about. But the other thing that happened was um, during the course of this event, we know that there was a Last Supper and Jesus was praying in the garden and the Jewish leaders came and arrested Jesus. Now, it's important to note that it was against their their Jewish rules, their laws, to um, take Jesus in the middle of the night and have him on trial. 
Okay, that's not what they did. You had to do that during the daytime and publicly. And they took him away in secret and had this trial and, and um, found him guilty of blasphemy. And in the morning, the other rule that they had was that they couldn't execute someone. Well, that rule they decided they had to follow. So they brought Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate was a Roman governor, and he's like, what's my beef with your Jewish king? You know, I don't have a beef with him. And, um, but the Jewish people were really upset and irate. And so Pilate, looking to skirt his duties, said, you know what? Passover time, this is Passover time, there was a huge Jewish influx into the city. Tons of Jews were there. And Herod, who happened to be the governor of Galilee, was in town as well. And when Pilate found out that Jesus is actually from Galilee, he said, you know what, I'll send him to Herod, you deal with him. So Jesus was brought before Herod, and Herod was like, okay, well this guy doesn't want to talk to me, and really, it's not my problem, you deal with it, Pilate. And sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate's left with a choice. He's got an angry mob that wants Jesus dead. He's got nothing to hold him on. But he says, okay, well, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I can release one prisoner because it's Passover time. I'll give you Barabbas or Jesus. Well, the crowd goes crazy and asks for Jesus. And Pilate says, okay, fine. I'll let Barabbas go. We'll crucify Jesus, but I'm washing my hands of this. It's not my deal. And remember also, as I, we go through this, that the Romans were really tired of the Jews always being a pain in the butt. Okay? They were really done with them causing uprisings and, and always causing trife because really they just wanted to control them. So just sit down and shut up. And they weren't doing it. Okay, so there's my painted picture for you. So it says he was crucified. And um, there's lots of verses for all of these things, but I just picked out a few. Um, and, and crucifixion was, and we understand this to be, you were nailed to a cross so that you die. And in Matthew 27, 26, it says, So Pilate released Barabbas to them, and then he turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And in Acts 2.36, it says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Now, in scriptural language, um, that word crucified means to utterly destroy one's power or ruling influence with intense pain. In... in uh, um, a Roman statesman named Cicero says this. Now, Roman citizens could not be crucified. That was reserved only for the lowest of the low. And Cicero says, It is a crime to bind a Roman citizen. To scourge him is an act of wickedness. To execute him is almost murder. To crucify him? An act so abominable, it is impossible to find any words to adequately express. That's how bad crucifixion was. And the, and the creed goes on to say, for us, under Pontius Pilate. It does. Um, it says in 1 Peter 2.24, He personally carried our sins in his body 
on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And that word carried literally means to put on an altar. So Jesus personally put on the altar what? Our sins. And sin can be translated to miss the mark, to violate God's law, or to wander from the path of righteousness. So that we can be dead to those things, missing the mark, violating God's law, and live, which can be translated worthy of his name, for what is right. And that right is a condition acceptable by God. So God would accept us in our condition to live worthy of his name. And then the creed goes on and it says he suffered. And um, in Mark 15, I'm, I'm going to give two references about his suffering. In Mark 15, 17 through 19, it says they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. And in Matthew 27, 26, so Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And remember I said, the Romans were really done with the Jews. And so here's this, I mean, we look at Jesus, but they were looking at just another Jew. And let's make an example of him. We get to flog him or scourge him, they're going to take and really make it hurt. And, and some of the accounts that I read were that, you know, so you think of somebody who's, you want to make an example of, this is what the Roman soldiers did. They made an example of Jesus. They made it hurt so bad that he was unable to carry his cross all the way to Golgotha. That's how, and most, 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 that's what they did is they forced you to carry the crossbar up to your crucifixion. And Jesus was in such intense pain from that that he couldn't carry the cross. And, and suffer means to bear pain in your body and your mind. You know, Jesus being taunted and mocked and having his body brutally beaten. But that suffering can also be translated to allow or permit wrong abuse or injustice. Jesus allowed them to do this to him. <clears throat> and then he died. In Luke twenty three forty six, then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. And in John 19.32, it says, So the soldiers came and broke, his, broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. To verify he was dead, and and to dead um, or to to die, to, is to dep be depraved of life. But it also can be translated empty or vacant. And I want you to remember that 
So we're going to come back to that in a minute. And then he was buried. And in Matthew 27, 57, it says, As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from America, I practiced that, really I did, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which he had which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Now he had to do this in a hurry because they wanted it done before the Sabbath started. And so they didn't get to do a proper um, burial, but he, he got him wrapped and put in there. And to be buried is to be hidden or concealed or overwhelmed. And one of the interesting things that I found was that word bury is also the, the root for to bury the hatchet, and that means to forgive and forget. So Jesus allowed himself to be buried so our sins could be forgiven and forgotten. And the third day he rose again. And in Mark 16, 2 through 10, I remember I said that he was, they had to hurry and put him in the tomb because they wanted to not be doing any preparation on the Sabbath. So um, the women wanted to come and properly bury him, which meant um, kind of like an embalming um, technique. So they had spices and that kind of thing. So on very early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Wow. All right. <laughs> Look, this is where they laid his body. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so risen means to rise from the sleep of death. It also means to recall to life. But remember I said that when he died, it was vacant. Risen can also mean to return to a solid state. So his body, the essence of who he was, left. And now it returned to his solid state. He rose in body as a man. And then the creed goes on to say, according to the scriptures. And, you know, scriptures are sacred writings. I mean, that's what scriptures are, refer to in the Bible. But we also understand that historically, things that are written are documentation. We use those as our sources. You know, that in school they talk about primary sources and secondary sources. And they're mostly written things. And as I was preparing, um, I, you know, I, I was praying and I was like, you know, wow, you know, we don't have a video. I mean, Passion of the Christ is nice and everything, but that's not the actual video footage of what happened. But we have written documentation. You know, I, I know that uh, JFK was shot because I've seen the video. 
But Abraham Lincoln was shot too. And I don't have any video of that. But I know that it's true because it was written down. There was first-hand accounts. And the scriptures are first-hand accounts of what happened. They are the truth. And so, according to these scriptures. But what makes this so amazing is that these scriptures, what happened with Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament. And now I want to go back and read some of the Old Testament that shows you God saying, this is what's going to happen so you'll know that it's true. It was written in the Old Testament. They saw it in the New Testament and they wrote it down and we know that it's true. <clears throat> so for us, he suffered and died for our sins. In Isaiah 53, and this is kind of a lengthy one, but I really, really, it's amazing. It says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Oh. Sorry. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was opposed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Okay, this is way before hundreds of years before Jesus did this. And this account is amazingly accurate as to what happened. His crucifixion, in Psalm 22 we read David say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The very words Jesus spoke on the cross. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. They have pierced my hands and my feet. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Again, another very accurate depiction of what transpired. And we can't possibly believe that the Romans read the Old Testament and said, let's do it this way, right? That doesn't happen. And he was buried in Isaiah 53, 9. It says he had done no wrong and never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. And remember I said they hurried and put him in the tomb quickly because he was a criminal. I mean, they took him off a cross and stuck him in a grave quickly. But he was buried in a rich man's grave. Joseph was rich and came and asked for his body. And then he rose and sits at the right hand of God. In Psalm 110, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, 
God said to Jesus, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. And Sorry. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out was in some Bible translations, they will capitalize when it's talking about Jesus, God, or Holy Spirit. Some it doesn't, but um, I know that that's really helpful for me, especially in something like this, because I'm like, Lord is who Lord? And But if they're talking about God and Jesus, and you know that that's who they're talking about. And that was, again, written in the Psalms. So as we finish up the creed, it says, and he ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. So in Psalm 110, it says that that's what's going to happen. And in Mark 16, we see that when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And that word taken up means ascend. And ascend is translated proceed from an inferior state to a superior state. And right hand is actually a place of authority. So Jesus was taken up from an inferior place to a superior place and placed in authority. So what did Jesus do? Well, in Romans 4.25, it says, He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Given over or handed over, means he allowed that to happen. He allowed it. And to make it right with God, to make us right with God, that word right is an act of God declaring men free of guilt and acceptable to him. So Jesus handed over, was handed over. He took on all of our sin allowed himself to be crucified, to suffer, to die, to be buried, and to rise so that we could be declared free of guilt and accepted by God. That's good news. That's good news. And so, um, I'm going to close right now, and and uh, and I want to um, take you back to the story I painted for you in the beginning, in that picture of you know Pilate not knowing to, what to do with this king of the Jews. What do I do with this guy? And um, and. Pilate really did see that Jesus wasn't guilty of what the Jews, he saw through what the Jews were trying to do. He's like, he even said, this isn't a matter for me. This is, a, this is your issue. This is your, you know, this is a religious thing that has nothing to do with us. And so they trumped up some charges that he was, you know, treason or whatever. And, and, um, and Pilate, you know, he tried to get out of this a couple of times. And in the end, 
he said, you know, okay, go ahead, crucify him, but I'm going to wash my hands of this. I got nothing to do with this. But Pilate does. I mean, we still talk about it. 2,000 years later, he was crucified by Pilate. And Pilate's going to have to answer for what he did because he's a sinner. But so are you and I. We all miss the mark or violate God's law. And the only way to make that right, to be acceptable in God's sight, is to believe that Jesus took our sins and he did it for us. And that by that act, we are made whole. We are righteous. We are accepted by God. And that account, this part of what Jesus did, Pilate's not the only one that has to answer for that. Because you and I know. You now know. If you didn't know what Jesus did for you before, you now do. And you have to answer, do I believe? And am I going to give my life to the Lord? Or am I going to try to wash my hands and pretend like I have nothing to do with it? Because it was for us. Jesus did this for us. Because, you know, this book is a pretty amazing book. And I'm not sure what category you would go to the library and find it. Probably religious. Or maybe, maybe historical in some places of the world. They might consider this a historical reference and they might put it there. But if it was in my library, I would category, categorize it under romances. Because God loved us so much. That was the point. Is that he loved us. And he would send his son to die for us so that we may have life. That's what Jesus did for us.